Welcome to a Drop Tent Media Production. Welcome to the Lone Stakers Podcast. Hi, I'm Albert Davis, and I'm a solo staker on the Ethereum blockchain. And I'm Tommy Harris, and I'm a solo staker. Both Tommy and I are crypto enthusiasts, navigating the world of Ethereum solo staking. We're not experts, but we're on a journey to learn more. So join us as we explore, learn, and stake our claim in the Ethereum network. Um, okay, so welcome back to another episode of the Lone Stakers. Um, Alba, how have you been doing? I've been doing fine. I've I'm, I'm got my stake going. I'm, uh, everything is uh, hunky-dory in staking land, yes. Excellent, excellent. Um, and today we have a special guest who is joining us. Joining us. Uh, Rowan, how are you today? Um, very well, thanks, Tommy. The, uh, awesome. I think all is pretty well in staking land for me as well. Though, uh, since we last chatted, I still have not got any execution layer returns. I've had one in more than a year. Uh, and as I understand you guys are doing a bit better than that. So fingers crossed that that turns around. Uh, well, yeah, so, so there's, there's some good there and there's, there's some rough and some smooth. Um, but yes, no, uh, today is, um, at least where I'm sitting, it is a beautiful springtime October Southern Hemisphere afternoon. Um, I guess you guys are enjoying a, a Northern Hemisphere fall morning. Um, so, um, why don't we um, kick off, uh, Rowan, by just telling us a little bit about yourself um, from before you started getting into crypto? Like, give us give us the picture of of who Rowan is outside of the crypto world. Uh, well, who is Rowan outside of the crypto world? The, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. So, I, for, for sort of in a career sense, I've spent most of my time in finance, so investment banking, and then in sort of the business case world in telecommunications. Um, and I really started, I guess, hearing about crypto on the side. You know, really in the newspapers, everyone's making vast fortunes overnight. You know, Bitcoin going through the roof. Uh, there was a period of time when I was in a WhatsApp group called the Crypto Kings. Uh, I had no crypto of my own, but was kindly invited into the group. Uh, sort of as a bit of a, a sales tactic. And everyone, like some of my friends were normally worth $10 million quite quickly with the Ripple and these other assets, um, which I never really understood. I didn't understand it. And I had this idea then, which I don't have quite as much now, that I would never invest in anything I didn't understand. Uh, but it turns out I'm just not that smart and I can't understand that much. And so I've needed to expand that definition over time. Uh, but that was sort of on the outsides. And then I have a bunch of friends who got involved in the, uh, in the sort of the crypto world. And that is where I sort of started getting interested in it, uh, kind of conversations over beers, trying to understand what the thing does and what staking is and stuff. Uh, but yeah, so my background was very much in the sort of financial markets piece, uh, but not so much in the technology side, which is always, I've always found that a bit overwhelming. 
Okay, that's very interesting. And, and you know, I, I know you to the extent that um, I know it's not true that you don't understand very much and, and you have far more insightful thoughts and <laughs> you get a deeper understanding of complex um, concepts than I do. So, um, that, and that's why we've invited you on to join us um, <laughs> so you can enlighten us with some of your wisdom. Um, okay, so, so you're in finance, you had some friends that were getting into um, crypto that had some you know level nominal level of um of affluence um through through their holdings like how, how did you take that step to go from uh, how did you overcome the idea that you didn't understand it and then say well actually i am going to invest in it to talk us through well, that process well so i sort of got interested in it from an investment point of view uh I guess a, maybe a year or two after ETH came along, but where staking is actually what drove my interest in the first place in terms of taking a position myself, uh, because that was something I could understand. It's a, you know, before that time, I didn't quite understand how, you know, you have a coin or a token or, or whatever, they, they, you can seem to be able to divide them infinitesimally. So whilst there's a limited number of the nominal total, there's an unlimited amount of value as such or units that you could have. Whereas uh, if you're staking and you own a piece of software that is supporting a network, and th that kind of made sense to me, like you're providing some value to the network. Effectively, you have sort of a share of the, the capacity to process things in the network. That's an asset that's worth something. And it correlates with the value of the overall value of ETH. Because I'd always had this idea that, uh, I wanted to, I could see why the world would slowly go this way, but I didn't understand why holding a Bitcoin or an ETH would help me in that. I said, if I could take a share in the company, ETH or blockchain particularly, if I could own like a share of a blockchain or the blockchain, I would 100% be in for that. But that wasn't an option. And it sort of seemed that the, um, that staking would be the part of that. And then I had a friend who knows a lot about this and we had a lot of conversations. And the other thing I actually really enjoyed about it was that it really went up. I don't, even though I have this background in banking and finance, I don't particularly like that world. I don't actually feel that it adds value commensurate with what it takes. And there was nothing more divisive at the time than having a bunch of investment bankers or equity traders in a room who all hated this, really hated it. And it's kind of nice watching people get fired up over it and, um, and sort of understand that the world might change, actually. And that's so it's a sort of an intellectual interest uh, in it. And then I really wanted to have a node that seemed like a valuable asset uh, in its own right. And so that's sort of what, how I got into it, I guess. That, that's um, that's just a great explanation. I, I really like your, your viewpoint on it. Uh, so, sometimes I think of uh, staking as kind of like a, a stock with, that pays a dividend, you know, because mm. the value of ETH can rise and fall. So that's like your share price and it pays out a return, which is kind of like your, your, your dividend. But, you know, that's where it, it kind of, diverges because and as you as Rowan says it's like we're supporting a network and that makes sense it's very tangible it's like okay I get that it's like for all this to happen there has to be a network and I guess from my point of view is if adoption goes you know higher and higher and higher that network would seem to become more and more valuable and Rowan when we were talking before because you're you're other part of your background was in telecommunications. 
I, I, am I, am I, I, that may be not the right term. Um, you want to kind of talk a little bit how you relate some of, of that to the network, you know, the Ethereum network? Oh, right. This idea that effectively it's a network that has a fixed amount of capacity on it. And that's what that, that was the thing that it took me a while to understand. That's where the value of an ETH actually comes from, is that it's a, if you imagine a telco network that can put through so much capacity, you know, so many megabits per second or something like that. And then if that network becomes a valuable network that people want to send traffic over and you're effectively owning one of those megabits per second, you know, represented in a token, then you will proportionally value, like your value will be correlated to the, the value of that network. And so your question about whether you should invest in ETH becomes a question of, do you think ETH will be widely adopted or not? Does it have applications and things down the future? And that's what I actually find exciting about it. It's not sort of where it is today. It's the mass adoption sort of idea, right? I mean, we talk a lot about applications. You know, I often hear things like uh, driver's licenses or home titles or any of these things. None of that's happened, really, because I think there's still a concern about it. And, you know, and some of the things happened in the news recently, like, raises that concern. You know, it feels like a lot of cowboys out there. But I think the technology is really solid underneath that. And it's just this question of when that adoption happens and if ETH is that. But if that happens, then ETH will become suddenly a very valuable asset. And I'm sort of excited about it. Partly, you know, you make a bit of money. But also, it's nice to be a part of, you know, like, positive change that... Uh, it's just interesting. And that's, you know, I, we have lots of, not lots, we have a depressingly small number of investments, but this is the only one that I find interesting enough to read about, you know, on the side. I mean, we, have a, we have an investment property. I don't spend a vast amount of time, you know, <laughs> understanding the rental dynamics of that market or whatever. Um, and I feel like it's part of, you know, the way the world could change in a, in a positive way. And And do you have a... A, a, a view or, or have you thought through kind of what mass adoption might or could look like or, or, or how, how, you know, general society moves, moves in that mm. direction? I think that, and that's the favorite conversation when you're, you know, when you move from the beer to the whiskey, you know, that stage of the night is where you start really <laughs> getting into the detail of this. But the, um, I had this idea that generally, not just with with crypto, but generally things take much longer to happen than you originally anticipate. And then when they do happen, the effect is much, much larger than people generally anticipate it to be as well. And I suspect that will be the case here where you, it, it has the potential to be so profound that it would touch vast parts of, uh, of life. So, you know, there's this kind of boring ideas about taking something which, like a database basically, which is privately stored somewhere and has to be accessed and people are managing that at some cost. And then you make that a public thing like the, you know, the house title, driver's license stuff, even medical records, things like that. But then it actually, the the sort of the contract side of it and the self-fulfilling contract side really changes how commerce can work. And, it, and, and that, I think, is where it gets really interesting because it's sort of hard to predict. What you need is for people to start thinking about business with this in mind, right? So now the... You know, we all might be thinking about this, and I have friends that are launching DAOs and doing all kinds of things, but it's not in the mass, right? There's very few 
CEOs or startups are planning their life around this. But, you know, I'm involved in a uh, uh, sort of an experienced startup at the moment, and I'm trying to convince them that when people go into the experience, it's like a, you can imagine like a warehouse where you a bunch of stuff goes on, not nefarious things, just fun things. But when you go in, you could be issued a token as the way that you would buy things, uh, you know, sort of in this world, right? Um, but the token could have uh, implications outside of that. So when you go home, you can now use it not only uh, when your experience when you were there, but also when you're at home, if there's an online experience, there's going to be a VR element. And so it sort of provides like a much different, a much deeper relationship with a customer going to the movies, right? It's sort of, and I find... I find this stuff is it's hard to uh, to crystallize it, right? Because I'm just not that creative type. I've been working with creative types, and I'm like, wow, you think in such a different way to me. If I can't turn this into an Excel model, then I kind of run out of steam somehow <laughs> thinking about it. Um, but I think it can be profound, and so there's that piece. There's also kind of the uh, the DAO. I don't know whether you guys have talked about that a lot on the podcast before, but this kind of a company which is held through shares on a blockchain allows for uh, a much different way of collaborating with people, right? And you could incentivize people with payments in tokens and various things uh, so that it would be a much more collaborative piece of work. So one way maybe to make that a bit more tangible is that I am nominally a specialist in like a narrow form of uh, sort of financial modeling and telecommunications. And I know a lot about it some small number of technologies, very infrequently is that useful knowledge. Uh, occasionally, a company really needs that. But the way it works now is that they basically have to buy a month of my time through a consultancy, and I'll probably do that work in three or four days. But in the future, if I could collect, and, and the issue there is I only know there's one bit, we need about 10 people, we need a market specialist, we need other specialists. And I feel that the crypto piece could actually bring us together in a much cleaner way where I would only come in for my three days of work and I'll be doing that all the time for 20 different companies. Um, now, I appreciate that's a pretty, pretty out there sort of way of trying to describe it. Uh, does that make any sense? It, it, it does to me. Um, I'm sure it does to Tommy as well. I'll uh, take a, a, just a dip in here. I think when you were talking about like the incentives, I mean, Dow and things, it, it's kind of, we, we already have this in um, customer relationships with reward points, which is, there's almost nothing you can do now with your credit cards, with your hotels, yeah. travel, where, and it's kind of like this way First of all, they have to know who you. They have to know who you are, which is kind of different. I, 15, 20 years ago, you could go into a store for 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 five years, and they didn't necessarily even know who you are, um, and so therefore they don't get much insight about your habits or what your interests are and things like that. Um, so, to me, I, crypto is like an, a kind of a natural extension, and the difference would be. I think that it would be seamless to use points in different, like you could trade your points if they move to a more digital currency model of, of giving reward points to people, then yeah. you could easily go amongst platforms with your, with your points. And, and, but it's, it's a nice way of relationships with customers and also incentivizing and rewarding people for 
the things if, if uh, that's how i kind of interpret what yeah for sure and something that I love the idea of, which I think is possible with crypto, but it, it may have been one whiskey too few, too many into the <laughs> drinks. But um, so you know, effectively, we've all become products in a way. Like our data is sold constantly. Uh, what I love is the idea of somehow taking back that data, right? So if I order, say, an Uber taxi, Uber now knows you know a bit of credit card information, but they also know like I went here to there at this time of day. Maybe there's some value in that. I think there is a way, as I understand it, technically to keep that data. So Uber gets, for the moment I use them, they need to know those things and they need to know my credit card information and such. Um, but after that experience, it all comes back. They just get a window of time when they can know something about me and then mm -hmm. they lose it, but I still have that. And that can be stored on the blockchain. And what I love is the idea that Occasionally, at my discretion, I could allow that data to be known. Maybe I'm in a shop or I'm online shopping, and I'm like, you know what? Recommend something to me. Look at me. Here's a second. Here's like, here's all of me for a second. Show me what I want, and then, oh, that's that is what I want. Thank you very much. Because I'm quite surprised at how much stuff I seem to buy that I didn't know I needed. Um, but I feel that there could be so much more optimized. What I hate is that sense of being somehow exploited, right? Even my, my, my own insecurities and weaknesses being exploited back to me by these services. And so there's, if you could own it and then give it to them and then bring it back, and, some, and then maybe by sharing with them that period of time, I could be rewarded with you know um, these points or some token or something like that. So I am benefiting from this experience plus you, you as the, as the company are selling a bit more for these moments that I'm interested in talking to you. And we can sort of take a bit of control back. That really excites me as well, which I feel can be tied in to the crypto world as the way, as the place of holding all this information. Yeah, no, I mean, I, th I think that's a fascinating idea. Um, and I, y y there's obviously t two sides to that transaction because there's a, <laughs> there's a, 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 a the, the the Uber side, the Google side, they have a vested interest in keeping it the way it is, yeah, exactly. and, and and then there's the the customer side, whereby I think we're we're all slightly concerned about how much of our of ourselves we are we are giving away, but when that search on the internet shows you something that actually is really useful, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's kind yeah. of hard not to just go with it. Um, but no, I think, I think that's really interesting. Um, and, and I think it's something that a lot of people would get behind if we, if we can, uh, if we can get there as, as a, as a group of people and as a society, um, we've, we've spoken very theoretically so far. Um, I wanted to kind of bring it back down to, the, the experiential side of things. Um, so you've told us why staking was appealing um, and the, the kind of the nature of staking um, was what brought you on board and, and into the crypto holding staking world. You are a lone staker, just like me and Albert. Um, when did you start staking? How have you found it? What have been your highlights? What have been your challenges? What didn't you anticipate when you started doing this, but you've, you've realized? I mean, talk to us about, about your experience as a lone staker. Yeah, sure. So I guess it's been about um, a bit over a year, maybe 15 months or something that I've had uh, my node up and running. It 
my plan to have a node has been probably in place for I don't know two two and a half years, um, but I found that the sort of the technical hurdles to get over it higher than I thought, um, and that's I think. So in terms of my technical skills, I don't have a technical background, but I feel very comfortable, you know, just like I think most people of my generation using computers and the internet and all that kind of stuff. I'm not having to do like tech support like I do for my parents. Um, but I still found that that was quite a hurdle for me. Uh, and particularly as you feel, or at least I felt, that if you make a mistake in this process, somehow you will lose the value of your stake. Um, which in, in the ETH world, depending on the price of ETH, but in all prices, is a substantial amount of money. And so uh, I ended up going with launch nodes and using their concierge service and being talked through step by step. But it, even before doing that, you have to buy ETH, which means you need a wallet, which means you need to transfer. And then, uh, you know, I've lived in a few different countries and things, and not every, not all my bank accounts can talk to the, the exchanges, and you also, I spent a lot of time, I never have opened a bank account and checked the legal status of the bank that I, there's a high street bank, I knew the bank. Um, but even for the exchanges, I was like, well, is this a legitimate thing? Is this a scam that I'm sending this money to? So I found that, that sort of side of things um, much higher, much harder than I thought. Uh, and there's also this time when you send ETH from, say I had to send it from a few different wallets to a MetaMask wallet and there's a period of time where you don't know, you haven't, you haven't seen it arrive yet. I was sweating, you know, like, I think genuinely sweating, waiting for that to turn up. Uh, and so that was, that was a bit of an issue. And then the technical side of things, so in the launch nodes world, you, at least in my case, uh, you get an AWS account and you then sort of load some software and things under that. That is beyond my pay grade of confidence. I would happily play around with that if there was no financial consequence. That's fine. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's a financial consequence, and so that's been, that's been quite hard. Um, now, and now I'm much more used to it, and that's fine. And we do, I don't know, I guess every six weeks or two months or something, there's an update that needs to happen, and I'm relatively comfortable doing that. So one time I got it wrong, and my uh, my node lost money for a few days before I noticed. Uh, and then I had to have some help to sort of fix that. And I still haven't set up the automatic withdrawal of the, the staking returns into an outside wallet because I need to go through technical support to do that, and I just haven't had the time. Uh, or the memory, if I'm being honest, um, to do that. But so that's the sort of being the sort of the stressful side of it. I very much enjoy going on and sort of seeing my node, and somehow I feel like a uh, what's the right word? It's a bit not secret is the wrong word, but it's a thing that not that many people do. So I sort of enjoy that side of it. Uh, I've been surprised that the ignoring the price of ETH, but the, the returns themselves aren't particularly strong, right? I mean, I think I'm, I don't know, three and a half percent annualized or something like that, 3% on the node. So it's not, I don't think that's particularly commensurate with the risk, uh, but I think it probably reflects the potential upside in the future when demand increases and things like that. I think there's some value of having a node in place. Um, but no, it's been an interesting sort of experience, but hard, harder than I thought. I was, I'm surprised that there isn't just some sort of user interface that launch nodes or someone else does where you go in and it's somehow even maybe even talks to your bank. It takes the money, turns it into ETH, sticks it in the node. Uh, but I understand now about custodial and, you know, it's quite 
it's quite a minefield in there. Yeah, it's a um, th that's a great description. Um, that whole process of accumulating ETH from exchanges and making these sort of you know uh, decisions about what's a trustworthy exchange, what's not, and and you you everybody I think is kind of feeling your way through that um, just to get some ETH, and then you have to transfer it you know into. Uh, in my case, I had to put all of the ETH that I acquired from an exchange into a MetaMask wallet. And I think we probably had to do that. That, that was quite nerve-wracking. And yes, mm -hmm. the delay. Um, I have this technique where I first send like $10 worth, then I send $100 worth, then I send yeah. like $100 <laughs> worth. And I, I want like four or five times that it actually worked. And then it's like, because if you're sending 10 or 15 or 20 ETH in one shot. It's 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 a good chunk of change. Um, so yeah, that's that, and that is possibly a problem. Then sorry, I don't, but also surprised at that time as well that the gas prices were. When I, it just happened to be there was a bit of furor going on at the time. Uh, I think there was like sort of an explosion in demand for ETH uh, or maybe for nodes, but whatever it was, gas prices were really high, and so it really actually came against. I was really concerned about that because if the the whole value to me of the ETH network is the low cost of transactions, if there's a high cost of transactions, then it somehow implies that the network is not fit for purpose. Uh, that seems to have improved over time. But at the time, I was like, wow, this is... And also, it was real money. Like, I, I don't know how much it cost me mm -hmm. to transfer all the ETH around, but it wasn't nothing. It was definitely a nice dinner out. Yeah, I, during my, I think that may have had to do with NFTs, also uh, non fungible tokens, and yeah. the frenzy there, and it was driving up to. By the way, I have to be honest, I don't understand gas. I'm trying to. Every time I read about it, it's like it doesn't completely make sense to me, but I'm, I'm trying. And, and it's very fundamental, and I should understand it, but I just will admit to it. I once had a really bad experience with that because it's the same thing. I did a transaction, and like nothing happened. Well, now we know that that's normal because it takes time for it to go through and you have to look on the other end. But I impatiently pushed again and I was sending additional transaction and, and racking up substantial fees <laughs> for no damn good reason. And um, yeah, so these are all part of those, those learning. I mean, it's funny, we kind of laugh about it, but then if this is to have being like mass market adopted in some way, yeah. It's a huge issue, right? Because everybody yeah. has yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. So, and I, you know, I guess the tooling. I don't know. I don't know why it's 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 so difficult or why it takes time. I know, like for example, I'm trying to do a little tooling to update the node uh, when we have to do node updates. I think there should be a little widget that we can do that through. Also, like hmm. you know, you paste in your something and you click a button and it. Because at the end of the day, you're going through all these menus just to put it in a new version number. Um, I, but I, I haven't been able to succeed at that. So, you know, I guess it's it's more, it's, I mean, I think those are the types of improvements that definitely will be necessary for, for mass adoption, no, no doubt about that. Yeah. Sure. The funny thing is, though, right, we moan and we groan, and, like, the last five, ten minutes has been us saying, oh, God, this, and, oh, the technical challenges, and, oh, the, you have to wait for five minutes for something to happen, and, oh, this, and, oh, that. But 
uh, like I know that I'm happy that I'm staking. I'm pretty confident that I know that Albert's happy that he's a staker. And I think you're, Rowan, you also are, are happy that, that you're a staker. So like, what is it? Is it, I mean, you mentioned earlier the, um, the kind of like the, the the potential force for good that the, the decentralized blockchain provides and kind of being a part of that. Um, like, it, do you find that you, you have a, a daily glow when you wake up in the morning because that you know you know that you're providing kind of some some just some trust services to, to the blockchain out there? Like, yeah, exactly. where do you get those payoffs? Uh, I think from a few things. The, the main one is that I, I don't quite know how, as it's going back to what we were talking about before, how the world is going to change. But I do feel that uh, ETH will be a part of that change. At least it's a, definitely a, a blockchain, and it feels to me that ETH is the most likely of the blockchains to be a big part of that. And so in my mind, if you go back to a different analogy, it's a bit like the California gold rush where the, the people that were really made money out of it uh, were the ones that sold the picks and the shovels and all that kind of stuff. And in my mind, the, the node is the sort of the modern day equivalent of that. And so if you believe in the gold rush, then you believe in that piece. And so that I enjoy. I very much enjoy uh, being, like, in my world, not many people do this, right? So I actually enjoy the fact that it's a bit different and a bit just as a separate kind of investment class that, uh, you know, people often challenge me about it. And uh, I feel that like it's one of those things in my circle of friends, I know more about this than most of them. In the crypto world, I know the smallest possible amount compared to crypto people. But I, I sort of enjoyed like the, that piece. And, you know, I think the other thing, there is this, uh, the world is so sort of, what's the right word, like unknown in the crypto space that, there are many, many possible things that can play out. I mean, I was reading the other day that the there seems to be a potential limit on the number of nodes, I think a couple of million, on the ETH network that can be supported before it takes too, too long to process transactions and things like that. And mm -hmm. there's ideas about how to resolve that. And one of the ideas is that you increase the number of tokens from the current 32 to, I forget what it is, it's an astronomical figure, 2,000 and... 30 or whatever, I guess it's two to the power of something. Um, and that would make each node in itself a much more valuable thing because you have a limited number of nodes that you could have. Now, who knows how that plays out? But I will tell you this, if you own you know, an investment property, I can tell you how that's going to play out. Like it's a very narrow set of outcomes that you've got there, whereas this is much more interesting, right? Like that sort of thing could happen. And it's just a fascinating thing to sort of be a part of. And so I have an objective to sort of just learn a bit more about it uh, and then possibly do something with it in, in terms of making different investment choices, uh, but at least understand it more. It's interesting to me. So if you're the guy selling the picks and the dynamite, who are the gold miners? Well, so they're all the people that are set, like they have the ETH coins, but they're the ones doing all the transactions, right? Uh, right. Okay. And yes. So if you're, uh, so what we need is a lot more people doing a lot more transactions. Uh, right. And then with my, <laughs> my little node shovel thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sure thing. Sure thing. Yeah, and also in that, because it's an ecosystem. There's people that are just speculating. There's people that are coming up with new ideas to build things. Um, there's the people, the developers, the software developers that get paid to build out this stuff. So the 
there is a there is a true ecosystem and and it is uh, I, I think it's a strategically because I agree. Um, I hadn't thought it quite the way uh, Rowan's metaphor is, which are great. Um, but strategically, I think a node is a really a, a pretty good spot to be in that ecosystem because yeah. it'll always be needed. And yeah, whether the price is kind of going up or down, you're still getting some return out of it, and it's. Yeah, it's a. I think it's a strategically smart place to be. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, okay. I, I, what I was going to say was, I think the other, the other argument in favour in, in terms of it as a pure financial investment um, is this idea that you have a lottery ticket, right? At any moment in time, you could your your node could be. I can't remember which layer it is, the consensus, the, the consensus, right? No, the execution. I can't remember. Yeah. The execution. At any point in time, you could get an execution layer reward that's like one, two, five, ten eighth, and it could be your it could be your lucky day, right? And so you just have this ongoing lottery ticket um that, that could hit the could hit the jackpot at any any point in time. Not that mine has any time recently. Since we spoke a few months ago, I you know it's been it's been a good eight months since I got any execution letter return. Oh, that could be some some comfort somehow. My note has been a little quiet. Also, I haven't gotten execution return in, in since we since we spoke, and it's been okay. a little while. But it's a random. It is a as you say a lottery ticket type of thing. Um, so I guess we just have to be patient on, the, on that one. Yeah, I sort of I sort of wonder about it as well because the so to me like the big thing is about how you move. Uh, ETH or the blockchain to be just more a part of society, like day-to-day -day life, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if if that was how it was with, say, um, every time that you, I don't know, send money from one bank account to another, occasionally you get 10 times that just randomly, right? <laughs> then the, it would be great for you as the recipient of the 10 times or whoever it was. But I think it, it has a problem with credibility right like the and i was re reading or maybe one of you was telling me but the uh occasion like people have got these enormous execution layers mm -hmm. like you know tens of eth for mm -hmm. and lucky them but i think on the other side of it when people outside of this are looking at it, they're like well that's just crazy i mean you didn't do anything particularly and suddenly you've got you know that you've got the value of a car like how does that? How does that? How can that work in the in the real world? I think is what people would say. Um, so I'll be very interested to see how, because as I understand it, the ETH Foundation is looking to sort of have less of this sort of stuff going on, um, and to have it a much more kind of clean, more automated sort of system where you get paid for the resource that you're contributing, rather than this kind of luck of putting together the perfect block piece. Is my understanding, and that's the depth of it as well. Yeah, that that is a a, a big topic. It, it um, they call that minor extractable value. It used to be when they were doing proof of work. Now there's no true miners, but um, and it's a it's a whole world in it, it, itself. And it it really is a two sided thing because as a validator, and I have gotten a halfway decent reward out of that one time. So the you know from my selfish part of me it's like oh this is great i got a nice reward but i also can see that that is exactly as you said like that shouldn't be because 
you know, somebody, it's kind of like in a way a zero sum. If, if I'm gaining that, you know, who, who, who got a little short end of that stick on the other side of it. And I, I, I think that is an impediment. It's, it's a little bit of a tricky flaw in blockchain because I guess the idea of a block is that there's a number of transactions in a block and it turns out, and I don't know if this was just like an oversight in design. It's like, I guess I could have done it like it's ordered exactly in the timestamp. And that would eliminate this ordering and and uh, rewards for putting together uh, quote unquote more profitable. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that. I think there's this idea that, you know, when you're doing a transaction, when you're sending, you might have a reason why you want your transaction to have priority, right? You want it to be quickly, or maybe it's very sensitive mm -hmm. and you want it to be done in some particular way, and you will pay a premium to have that service. And then in the background, there are like what used to be miners who are making sure that that happens and they're sort of being rewarded for that. And it, it sort of feels to me like they're sort of sorting out the kinks to make sure that you're not paying some super premium to achieve what is a small, uh, a small benefit, and and that's that to some extent is exciting because it feels that the network is maturing, right? I, the I mean, one of my sort of funny stories, I guess, or I, I was at an engagement party a few years ago, uh, and there were a load of guys there from uh, was it Bain, one of the big consulting firms, anyway, and they were talking about how the senior partners had banned the talk of blockchain or ETH or at work, you were not allowed to mention it. They were so sick of everybody, you know, and they thought it was a bubble and it was going to burst. I mean, you're all going to go broke. We can't talk about it, right? One of those guys now runs a fund entirely devoted to acquiring basically various companies that are operating in the in the crypto space. Uh, and at the time of that party, he was the he was absolutely drunk the Kool Aid. You cannot even talk about this. And now it's <laughs> entire business. Um, so I, and I find that very comforting because it, it sort of feels like the needle is turning, right? And I feel that the stuff that's holding it back at the moment is a little bit of you know companies need to get the learning curve and a little bit of uh, this kind of you know like all the stuff in the press and these exchanges that are blowing up and stuff like that. But what it's not is a technical thing, right? There's no material reason why it can't take off. It's sort of waiting for the right Goldilocks moment for it to happen. Uh, and that's where I, back to your point before, Tommy, that's where I think it's very exciting, right? And in the background, we can sort of figure out these kinks and things. And it seems, it feels to me that the ETH Foundation is some very clever people. I have a lot of confidence in them to sort these issues out. Uh, and then there'll hopefully be this sort of hockey stick, which will give us all the ability to have just said we were there then. I mean, not doing very much, if I'm being honest, monitoring my node and talking about it at dinner parties. But it's still, uh, it's just very exciting to be part of that. Mm. And, and hopefully we're here on the hockey stick. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> if, if that made visual sense to anybody other than me. Yeah. I'm sure that I, I, um, I guess we're coming, coming sort of down to our, our time here. I heard a podcast that kind of blew me away. It was for um, the head of crypto, for want of a better term, at, at J.P. Morgan Chase. Hmm. Now, I read and heard that, that uh, the president of Chase, Jamie Dimon, was like totally 
crypto bad, you know, don't waste your money. It turned out, one of the questions that was asked, how many people are in your unit? There's like 250 people in this unit that's working on this stuff. Talk all about, um, I mean, it was, is this mind boggling that, because part of the adoption and strategically, again, in companies, I guess they want to keep things kind, kind of under wraps at some point, And then they, they have to kind of at some point say, yes, this is a real thing. Um, but if, if the, I mean, the things that they are talking about, like they have a coin, JP Morgan coin that works between banks. And right now it's kind of private, like you and I, we can't use that coin, but they're, they're sending money between banks with cryptocurrency now. And yeah. they're saying, yeah, they, and they recognize, they, he said right away, we had to look at this because it's a, it's a challenge to our business model. And it makes sense. So you, you can't be in finance and then there's a new way of doing finance and say, oh, we're just going to ignore that. So they, they had to, they have to look at it. And they, and they readily admit that the cross-border sending of funds in the SWIFT system, that's the current oh. system, is not a good system. And they, mm. you know, they say, yeah, we have to work on it. So that, you know, when, when you hear things like that and there are stories like that, they, they're really all over. Um, how far can you know this adoption be? And one of the questions also is like, well, is it going to be on ETH, or you know, could they trump everything and come up with their own, you know, an in own independent system? And um, it, it, I think ETH is very solid because it has that that network kind of footprint effect going for it. And um, yeah. yeah, I think that the, there's lots of examples of companies who. Like I, as a guy who worked in telecommunications, right, like telcos build all the networks uh, and then everybody else profits from them by putting content over the networks. And there were some telco companies who said, you know what, we're going to do content. We're going to make TV shows and no one watches them because telco companies are not good at making funny or interesting or relevant TV shows. They're good at running networks. And I think that's true of the banks I, I would suspect that the banks developing their own technology will be a disaster. Banks are good at profiteering from the financial system. They're not good at software. And in fact, banking software is notoriously terrible, right? Which is why, you know, things like Swift are so bad and they, and they haven't been, and they, they're more focused on security than features and, you know, whatever. Um, so I feel that the crypto space is particularly well positioned to disrupt them. And I hope that they do. Um, the only thing I, if you don't mind, uh, just two seconds while I'm talking, because I wanted to, I didn't, I wanted to poke in and ask, but I wasn't sure if that was a good thing, but I didn't want to send it off on a tangent as we were coming to the, but are, are you guys at all worried for if e the banks making and starting to play with crypto? You know, I think they demonize it because they didn't know how they could profit off it. But if they figure out some way to corrupt or get into it, I mean, is that a concern at all that for any of you in a way? To, to sabotage? No, because I or think just, it's pretty rock, pretty rock solid. Right. I, mean, I, I think, you, you know, I guess there's this, this slight fear that I have, like, they could marginalize Ethereum by by developing some other blockchain and marketing and it's so much more reliable stuff. But as Roland said, they probably screw it up. It is far, far, far from trivial what is being created and all the little kinks that are being worked out. I think 
to start from scratch, I think people would have a very long, long road to travel and they may never get there. And and that even goes for central banks, because now, you know, banks is one thing. What about the government creating a blockchain? You know, right. I can just imagine because there are hacks and things. And so what happens when the, um, you know, the uh, whatever Bank of China or the Bank of, United, you know, the Fed creates a, a digital token trying to like put a big footprint out there and you know and then somebody hacks them it's not going to be for a billion it'll be for for hundreds of billion and i, I think they're probably afraid so they may want to even from a liability point of view they may just want to stay on ethereum and then if something goes really really wrong they can just <laughs> well yeah and I, I guess i mean like anything like specifically uh ethereum Right. Would be if they started to demonize what's already here. Right. And wanted to make their own thing and then made node runners like they could start messing with percentages per transaction. Again, I don't know crazy, yeah. much. I don't come from a crypto, but that's what I mean. Like, I don't put it past them. So my hairs on my arms stood up just be like, oh, yeah, if a bunch of powerful people just were like, we want to stop what you guys are doing because we want to make more money off of. <laughs> I, I like, think I think it's a valid point. In my mind, the, um, you know, you. It, it, there's like a bit of a battle going on, right? Because I have a pretty negative view of banks, even though I've worked in them and for them or whatever for a long time. They kind of suck, right? And their their whole purpose is to suck as much economic rent as they can out of the system. Because all they're supposed to be doing is helping people, you know, farmers sell crops by getting money in advance. That's, that's what that's the purpose. And they're just assholes. And they will fight like tooth and nail because if they feel they're going to lose market share, you know, because it, it's one thing to feel that there's an opportunity you're missing out on. It's another thing to feel that like your business is under threat, right? So mm -hmm. I feel there's a bit of a battle that's going on between traditional huge banking and then consumers, particularly in America where banks are shit, yes. right? Like at the moment, I have to send money to from my wife's account to my account. I have to forge her signature on a check and take a photograph of it to send money. It's so stupid. Yeah. The... Um, and so the I feel like banking is poorly served here. And then when you look at international trade and currency, you are getting screwed, right? And so the crypto can solve that problem and it can do it cheaply. And so I think it's a it's a question of consumers and businesses being like, I don't want to use I want to use a cheaper, better service. And if that works, crypto will win, right? But if the regulators and things come in, then then who knows? And the moment the problem is that so many people have lost piles of money in crypto, either because the price has come down or because they've been hacked or, you know, or whatever. And that's, I read a whole thing the other day saying that eventually, in order for crypto to work, you have to have some level of regulation, right? So you don't have all of, and then eventually the regulation just grows to the point where you have another banking system that's basically exactly the same with a different technology. <laughs> so, I don't know. What do you think, Tommy? So, so I, I, I think the point you raise, Neil, is very, very, very valid. And I think it essentially zeroes in on this idea of is Ethereum the network that's going to become the broad, widely adopted network? And I think it has some advantages in that it was early. It has, um, it has like the right people working on it, it seems. Um, but there's always a risk. If, I, if I'm in ETH, if you're in ETH, that ETH's not going to be the one. Something else is going to come along and overtake it. But 
like it's not my biggest worry in the world i'm far more worried that i'm gonna forget a password or that i'm gonna lose my keys or that i'm not gonna get a good night's sleep tonight or that you know there are there are other worries that consume me far more than that one but but yeah no it, it definitely is something like did i did i put my eggs in the right basket i don't know i hope so because the other thing I think is really cool with ETH and the sort of the crypto world is like just say for example that the banks are like we want to buy we want to buy the ETH blockchain we want to use that for us that's a good technology right you know in a standard world you could just go to the company that owned that thing and be like I want to buy all your shares and you have some protracted negotiation you buy the fee you cannot buy this network unless you literally buy. I guess you could buy all of the ETH tokens if you wanted, but that, all that does is give you the ability to use the network, but the development and the things that goes on underneath it, it is not for sale. It is literally impossible to buy it, right? right? Yeah. And that's super cool because it, then it ends up morphing and changing. As you regulate it, it will change. There's no jurisdiction you can go after, you know, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't. It means it's hard to enforce things on it, but it does mean that um, you can't be sort of taken out and shut down, right? Like. Mm-hmm. that's cool to me so wonderful thank you for that was great thanks um so i think possibly with that we've uh we've come to the end of our time um thank you so much for joining us today rowan your ideas and thoughts and insights i find personally fascinating so uh thank you very much for for spending the time with us and and for sharing your ideas yeah. oh thanks very much yeah, I also want to say you you really are very articulate in how you describe these things. So you have a very good voice for this space, and I hope you will continue talking about it amongst your friends and, and others as well. And I really enjoyed our conversation today. Oh, indeed. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed being here. Join us for the next episode of The Lone Stakers. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you sharing our crypto journey. Please send us a message via thelonestakers at gmail.com and make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and mash that bell button so you never miss an episode. The Lone Stakers Podcast. Everywhere you find podcasts. This has been a Drop Tent Media Production.